Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Growing up, we had uh, a lot of family in Ireland, where I'm from originally, and it used to be that every year, every other year, we would fly uh, over to see grandparents and cousins, and um, if you've been on an international flight, or any flight, it's more true on international flights, the international flight begins and ends with like the walk of envy, I call it. You know, you have to walk through first class. Uh, and as a child, first class fascinated me. It was almost like this theme park that I wasn't allowed in. You know, I saw they had extra blankets, toiletry kits, you know. Later on, they got TVs, you know, lazy boys, you know. While we're on our walk back to, you know, eat mystery meat in, you know, chairs that are not super comfortable and not a lot of entertainment. And as a child, that world, and of course, they closed the curtains. You can't see. So it just felt mysterious out of touch. Uh, well, my day finally came. Uh, when I was in high school, I think this was either my sophomore or junior year, uh, my grandfather passed away and it wasn't uh, incredibly sudden. It was sudden enough to where we, we had not planned to go over. My dad was there and, and so I ended up flying with my sister uh, over there kind of last minute. We found out uh, I think the, the night and the next day we flew and, and so we get there and, and my dad didn't tell me, hey, I booked you a first-class ticket. I, I think he just called the airline and said someone died because we get there and, and I'm sitting outside and I'm, I'm looking at my ticket. And it's like row two or three, and I'm like, and it's got this like little insignia. It's like a silver reflective. It's on it's on the nice paper, and my sister doesn't have that. And she's like, I think you might be in first class. And I was like, Well, Dad didn't tell me that, and uh, you know, like, are you sure? And then so we walk in. Sure enough. I'm sitting in first class, but I, I, the whole time I'm thinking someone has made a colossal mistake. You, my dad would have told me, uh, to this day, I'm not even sure how I ended up in there, but literally for the first 30 minutes, my goal was just not to be noticed. <laughs> I thought they are going to come around and they're going to ask for something else. Uh, I, I'm going to need to provide some sort of more proof. Like this ticket was given to the wrong person. And I remember just kind of sitting still not asking for anything, you know, people are getting like appetizers and enjoying first class, but like this moment that I, that I longed for for so long, I, I can't even enjoy it. I'm just sitting there, kind of, the plane's even taken off, and I'm thinking, it's still going to happen. I'm still going to get booted back uh, to second class or third class, even worse. Um, and it took me, it wasn't until the lady finally came and asked me for something that I was like, okay, I'm in the clear. All along, I was thinking I needed something else. I needed something more than the ticket that said I was in first class in order for me to feel 
adequate in order for me to feel like I belonged. Paul is writing Galatians to a group of people who are struggling to understand what it means to belong to God, what it means to be accepted by God. That They've heard, he says it in verse 1, he says right there in verse 1 that they have seen before your eyes, Jesus Christ publicly portrayed as crucified. He has described the crucifixion. He's described Jesus' death and resurrection on their behalf. They've heard it. They've experienced it. They've talked about it. But they're having trouble connecting that truth to their daily lives. And we've talked about this throughout our study in Galatians. And we'll continue to talk about it. Because on top of their own struggle... They're also hearing from others that in order to be accepted by God, sure, faith in Jesus, but you also need to do these other things, other works of the law. Circumcision. We'll talk more about that in Galatians 6. There's more. Sure, you can believe in Jesus, but in order to be accepted by God, you need to do these other things. And throughout this passage, throughout this book, Paul is pinpointing a struggle not only for the Galatians But for you and for me, how do we live as people who have been accepted? Not because of our work, but because of what Jesus has done. The gospel says because of Jesus, not only are you let in, but but you are delighted in. That you are accepted and that you are beloved but we often don't live as if that's true. We often, we often don't feel that way. And so we don't live as sons and daughters. And, and Paul knows that that struggle in the Galatians, he knows that for you and me, and he knows that in light of that, our tendency will be when we don't feel accepted, when we don't feel like we belong, we're going to make up for that gap with something. We're going to prove ourselves. We're going to get to work in order to prove that we do belong, or in order to prove that we are worthy. And so Paul addresses, we're going to look at that struggle in three ways this morning. Paul addresses the folly of living by works. He addresses the curse of living by works. And then lastly, he gives us the cure to living by works. So first he starts off this passage with a series of rhetorical questions. Verse 2, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? And he talks about their suffering, and then you go to verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? I mean, if there's a point that is hammered home in Galatians over and over again, It is this, you and I cannot save ourselves. We'll never be righteous enough, we'll never be good enough. Even on our best days, we will fall short. We need a savior and our only hope is in Christ's perfect righteousness. That is the grounds upon which we are saved. That's the grounds upon which we rest. We're saved by faith. And what Paul is saying here in this passage is that that is not only the truth that saves us, that the gospel is not just only the truth that that saves us and grants us acceptance to God, it's also 
the power by which we are molded into who God has called us to be. That the gospel is not just the good news that saves us, it's also the power by which you and I are transformed. It's the engine that motors the Christian life. And, and so the way we begin the Christian life is actually the way we grow in the Christian life, which Paul talks about here. Hearing with faith. The way we enter is the way we grow. And so he says in verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You entered by faith. Do you think now that all of a sudden you don't need Jesus anymore? Do you you feel like you don't need to trust him anymore? My dad had a surgery that I'm sure many of you have had. Uh, It was about five or six years ago. He had double knee replacement surgery. And um, imagine... Maybe you don't have to imagine. Maybe you've been in this situation. Um, Whether it's knee or hip or shoulder. Uh, Imagine you're in that surgery. And you have the unfortunate experience of waking up. Uh, Hopefully that doesn't happen to you. But imagine you do. We're using our imaginations here. Imagine you do wake up in the surgery and you're like, Hey, Doc, how how are things going? Is the the new knee in? Yep, the new knee's in. Um, Okay, well, you know what? Um, If the new knee's in, I think I can take it from here. Um, the doctor would probably say something like, well, you know, I haven't really stitched it up yet and actually you're going to continue to need me because you need to do a lot of re- rehab work on that, a lot, of, a lot of physical therapies in your future. And, you, you know, what then if you responded, well, no, 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 I, I, I think I've really got this. I've watched a couple of YouTube videos, some, some D, DYI medical work. Um, I think I can handle this. Um, no one does that. That's crazy. No one would say, oh, yeah, I can take this the rest of the way. Or maybe they would. They are crazy. Um, We wouldn't do that. That's nuts. That's foolish. And yet, in the Christian life, so often we live that way. We've heard Jesus Christ died for your sins. We've heard about the crucifixion. And yet, so often we do not live as if that is true. So often we feel as if there is work still to be done. Yes, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, he rose again. He reigns on high. But I still feel like there's things I need to do in order to be accepted. You've heard that for your sake, Christ became poor in order that we might become rich. But so often we live as if we have a debt to pay. You've heard in the gospel that Christ adopts you. You are no longer enemies. You are no longer orphans. You have been adopted by the grace of God. And yet so often we feel in the Christian life like we don't belong. We feel like we need to earn God's favor. Or, probably more commonly, we feel like we need to re-earn God's favor. Maybe we felt like we had it in the past, but now all of a sudden, maybe we've gone through a season, for whatever reason, we feel like now we've got to re-earn it. We have trouble connecting the truth of the gospel with our daily lives. We live as if it is dependent upon us. And that's why Paul starts off this passage, foolish Galatians, that's crazy. That is folly. To think that you can rely on your works 
not just to get into the Christian life, but to run the Christian life, to walk the Christian life, is crazy. You cannot add to what Jesus has done. He was crucified for you, and what Paul is saying in this passage, he is still at work in you. That is good news. He's saying in the Christian life, you are not alone. It's not up to you. The God who saved you is still the God who is at work in you. He says it here in verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you? He, this is the God that's still, is he doing that by works of the law? Or is he doing that by hearing with faith? We continue to need Jesus throughout the Christian life, not in order that we'd be accepted. We've been accepted when we trusted him initially, but we continue to need him that we might grow in him. The Christian life is not devoid of work or effort. Paul Paul does not shy away from telling us that there are things that we ought to do and things that we ought not to do. But what he is saying in this passage is that we never work apart from God who is also at work. And he says in Philippians 2, you work out your fear and salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It it was silly for me sitting in first class to think that there was something else apart from my first class ticket that had my name on it that I could prove somehow that I either belonged or didn't belong there. Like, I had it. The ticket was mine. My name was on there. I had my driver's license. Like, it's crazy for me to think that I needed something else to make me acceptable in that place. The ticket's what got me in there. You know, so those moments that I doubted or thought I was dreaming, it was like, okay, just look at the ticket. You're here. That's your name. That's your seat. You're sitting in that seat. And the same is true in the Christian life. There will be times when you don't feel like you belong. And that's why Paul is directing our gaze from the very get-go to the cross. Jesus, who was crucified for you. You don't have to fill the gap between what you feel or experience and Christ's righteousness with your own efforts. You don't have to look for, to others for affirmation. Paul says we get all of that in the cross. Jesus is enough. The cross and resurrection are enough. We can take a deep breath and give thanks to God. Jesus is enough. It's crazy for us to think otherwise. But according to Paul, when we do that, it's not only folly, it's not only silly or foolish. When we try to rely on our own works, or as he says in verse 3, he has this phrase, he says, um, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That's a Greek word that literally means, are you, are you trying to complete yourself apart from Christ? When we try to complete ourselves, complete our lives, Paul says that that's not only foolish, we're actually inviting a curse on us. I mean, he says this, he kind of explains this more in verse 10. He says, um, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. 
So, so, so biblically and theologically, when we trust in our own efforts, instead of trusting in God's faithfulness in Jesus Christ, we're inviting not blessing, we're inviting curse. Why? Because we'll never measure up. You see this in Romans 7, you see this in Ephesians 2, you see this in Romans 3, all throughout. We, we, we all fall short of God's glory. And, and so to trust in ourselves is not only folly, it's inviting curse. We see that in Scripture, but you also see that in our day-to-day lives. When you are in the posture, and I in the posture, that we have something to prove in order to be accepted, whether that's to God or to other people, we know what that feels like. You know what it feels like to be around someone, or maybe it's a group of people, where you feel like you're always having to prove yourself. Always having to make sure that they know that, that you belong there. Or at least you want them to know you belong there. That's exhausting. <laughs> that, that is a cursed life. When you feel like you, you've got to prove something or make up something, uh, that's really, really hard and really, really exhausting. George Bernard Shaw says this. He says, The lives which have no use, no meaning, no purpose, will fade out. You will have to justify your existence or perish. You will have to justify your existence or perish. I think that's how we, that's how we often feel a lot of times. We feel that we have to justify our existence, that we have to, in, in, in Paul's words, we have to complete ourselves. We have to come across as complete, portray ourselves as p- complete, project competence, project that we belong. And in a sense, what he's saying is we're we're justifying our existence. There's a pastor in New York named Jason Harris, uh, and and he says this in in light of that, uh, in light of God's justification and and that Bernard Shaw quote, he says, we live in an age of seemingly limitless possibilities. The freedom to be anything has turned into the expectation to be everything. As a result, many of us feel relentless pressure to justify our existence or perish. So we try to establish our value by making good grades, achieving our goals, enhancing our appeal, being authentic, serving others, or or perhaps simply improving our various social media profiles. We do live in a strange age. We think anything is possible, and therefore we feel this pressure that we should be doing all these things vocationally, socially. We're always feeling this pressure that we are not enough, that you're not doing enough. That we have to justify our existence. And we know when we step back, you've, you've, you've had this moment, you've probably experienced something where you've wanted something, you've looked forward to something, and then you've gotten it, and it's like, oh, Gosh, I'm, I'm glad I have this thing and I thought I'd gain other people's respect by it, but now I just, I kind of just want more or I want something else. What job or what credential could possibly complete you, to use Paul's language? We know deep down there is no job, there's no credential, there's no experience here on this earth that will complete you, that will perfect you you. What are the things you're looking to to do that? 
Where are you looking? It might be in the affirmation of others. Uh, it, it, it might be in a promotion or a credential or something that you own. I mean, we, we live in a country, if, if ever there was a country that had the resources to make us feel complete, the U.S. of A. has all those things. If it were possible, we could do it, and we would have done it. And yet, while we live, and no, no, no new news here, while we live in the most wealthy country that has ever existed, we also live in a country that is filled to the brim with people that feel inadequate and feel like they don't belong. So how, how, so what, what do we do? Pa- Paul says, when we try to fill up the gap, that's crazy. Uh, when we try to fill up the gap, that just adds more pressure, makes us feel more isolated, more depressed, more anxious. How do we get off of this hamster wheel of trying to spin our wheels and trying to earn something that we can't earn? The good news is what we confessed earlier in our confession of faith and what Paul talks about here. What Paul says in Galatians 3 is that, yes, there is a curse that we are inviting us ourselves into when we try to achieve and maintain the Christian life on our own effort. And our hope is not just in us merely stopping doing that, but our hope is in Christ. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He redeemed us. All the ways we've fallen short, all of our inconsistencies, all of our sin, all of our betrayal, all the ways we've contributed to the sin in our hearts, in our families, in this world, all of that, Jesus took that on the cross. Though he was perfect, he was treated like a criminal. Though he was pure, he was treated as though cursed. He's the one that brought blessing and yet received the curse of our disobedience. And in so doing, he redeemed us from the curse of the law so that you and I now can walk and live in that freedom. Probably many of you will remember 2012, almost 10 years ago, uh, this coming spring, a series of tornadoes went through Kentucky and Indiana, uh, and there was a story that made national news in Henryville, Indiana, uh, not far uh, up the interstate from uh, Louisville. And uh, Stephanie Decker was in her home uh, with her two children, her son and her daughter, and uh, the storm was getting pretty bad. They'd just gotten home, and they could tell things were getting really rough outside, so they went down uh, into the basement, and she, she re- remembers literally recalling seeing the roof come off, seeing the main beam in their house come down, on her, she grabs her children, they're, they're underneath her. The house basically falls on her, and one of the largest beams in the house fell on her legs. She lost both of her legs in that storm. And when EMTs arrived and people helped get, get them out of the rubble, her children literally did not have a scratch on them. They literally just walked out. Why? Because she shielded them from the fury of that storm. And and, and that's what Paul is saying Christ has done for you and for me. There is a penalty for our sin. And on the cross, Jesus took 
the curse of our sin. He became a curse that we might receive blessing. He took on your guilt and your shame and your inadequacy. And he died in order that we might live as those who are free. My wealth is not in what I own. I love how stands to close. My soul is satisfied in him alone. That's the invitation of this passage, is to trust God for our souls to be satisfied. And, and, and this is not just a New Testament thing. That's why Paul brings in Abraham to this. The, the, the way we are saved is actually the exact same way Abraham was saved. And Paul's writing to a group of people, some of them would have said, some of the, some of the very same people that would have said, no, 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 yes, Jesus did that. Yes, you can believe that, but you need to do more. They also would have loved to have Abraham as their father. They would have bragged, we're descendants of Abraham. And he said, well, you know what? Abraham, long before, at least 14 years before he was circumcised, was credited as righteousness, not because of anything that he did, but because of his trust in God's promises. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. We are saved in the exact same way. The invitation of this passage is to trust and rest, to believe that what Jesus has done for you is enough. Go and live in that freedom. I'm glad the Olympics are coming back this summer, hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, but uh, the last Olympics we watched was the 2018 Winter Olympics. I'm more of a Summer Olympics guy, but um, I remember watching, I think it was on one of the first few nights of the Winter Olympics uh, in South Korea a few years ago, and there was this young American snowboarder, Chloe Kim. She was the hot favorite, but she was also the youngest. She went on to be the youngest gold medalist uh, ever in that event. She was in the snowboard half pipe, and early on it was clear, like, this girl is better than everyone else. Uh, and the way the snowboard halfpipe works, you do it three times, and they take your two best scores, and she, she was going last. Uh, and so after the second round, she won. She, she secured the gold medal. No, no one else was going after her. No one was going to beat her score. And so her final run, at the end of the third round, she knew no one was going to catch up with her. The gold medal was hers. She was the last one going. There was no one even close. Uh, and... She went on actually to do her hardest run and won her highest score after she'd already won the gold medal. After she won the gold medal, she wanted to do back-to-back 1080s, a lot of spins, um, and ran a flawless event, got the highest score on the evening. How, how is she able to do that? She was able to do that because she, the gold was already secured. Her status was already there. And that actually freed her up not to sit back and say, you know, I'm not going to do anything. It's done. It's over. No, that actually freed her up to go and work hard and to enjoy. And one of the coolest things about this the whole time was that her dad and mom are in the crowd and they are cheering her on just as loud at the end of that event as they were after they found out that she'd secured the gold medal. Paul is saying here, the God who saved you is still at work in you. The same spirit that redeemed you is the same spirit that is at work in you. Now, go and live as those who are free, 
knowing that the Savior that redeemed you is also the Savior that is now rooting you on and interceding for you on your behalf. Our soul can be satisfied in him alone. Let me pray for us. Father, Lord, we come to you this morning as those who are aware, Lord, we we are aware that you are a God who is not like us. Uh, Lord, we are aware that uh, there are all sorts of ways in which we are falling short, not only of your standard, but but also of standards that we set up for ourselves or standards that we feel uh, that others expect of us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did not leave us in that estate, but Lord, that you have come and redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Lord, I do pray. I pray this week and this summer, Lord, that 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 would not merely be a truth uh, that connects us to some past moment in history, though it is, but Lord, that that truth would actually transform the way we view our lives and our callings and our relationships, that we would be able to enter into those as those who are not looking for approval or belonging, but Lord, as those who are able to love others and work because we are beloved, because we are accepted. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.